to places in the goodness of God and in our life, don't we, time and time again, where the path forward is not clear. We're not certain what the next step is. We're not certain we have what it takes. Uh, change is coming. And more change is coming. And more change is coming. And there are going to be more opportunities for you and me to not be sure what's next or to be sure whether we have what it takes to get to what's next. Amen? Now, you know, my wife and I, we've had seven children. You've heard us talk a lot about these seven children throughout the years. They've grown up. They've come to know Jesus. They're walking with the Lord. Um, you know, but I'm here to tell you something. That, that every odd-numbered child, and if you've heard me talk about my kids, I've talked about this, every odd-numbered child, not even number, odd, changed our lives again. Brought us into a level of uncertainty, for sure, so that the path forward was challenging and somewhat unclear. Well, you know right away, right, child number one, that's an odd number. Child number one changed everything simply by being child number one. Amen? Once you have a kid, your life changes. But it didn't change huge for us because we kept going and rocking and rolling, but it did change. And here, I, I didn't sleep like I was used to sleeping. Uh, you talked to Jody about that too, right? Bodies change, everything changes, doesn't it? Because you have that kid. Then you have number two, and guess what? It's an even number kid. You're already used to having a kid. It's not much change because you already had one already. Number three comes. Change again. Why? Because you're outnumbered for the first time. It's not just you got one, I've got one. It's now we've got three. How do we get out of the house on time, right? Right. How do we do that? And our routines change and the routines of our kids would change. Number four, not much change. You already were outnumbered, now you're still outnumbered, not that big of a deal because you got four, you can still fit in the same car. Number five comes, <clears throat> change again with number five. Oh, I need a bigger vehicle. Should I get my first station wagon? Should I get a minivan? Uh, you know, some guys just don't like minivans. We all like trucks, but we don't like minivans. But you're thinking, man, I got to do that. Now we've got to have more bedrooms, or we've got to change how we do our bedrooms. Maybe get bunk beds. Our routines change again. Number five. Number six, well, you were already living in the big family way. No blippy. Number six just kind of comes and goes. Number seven, and that's where we ended, you're crying. I'm sorry, right? You're like going, oh, I came to the Lord. What do we do now? Do I really have to buy a 15-passenger van? Well, yeah. And that's what we drove around for a long time. We were known as the West Side 15-passenger van. And we loved it. You're also thinking, how do we pay for these kids? How do we clothe them and feed them? We're really crammed in now. And how do we, how do we send them to college? And will they be able to pay off their student loan debts? Because you know what? We can't pay for all of it. And you have all those questions and your life changes. It seems that every time we got the hang of being an even number family, all of a sudden, bam, we were an odd number family again, and back to uncertainty, back to change, back to asking, now what? What's next? Wow. 
You know what? I'm here to say, though, every time we came back to the Lord and with each other in prayer, we came back to God's word, we came back to him, we found we had a plan. We found that God gave renewed life and renewed power to move forward, to realign ourselves to his mission, to realign ourselves to his calling, and to be able to do that successfully every single time. Thank you, Jesus, for that. The pattern happened, though, over and over again with us. The pattern has happened over and over again with you as well, where you, you're in a place of certainty, in a place of soundness, in a place where you get it, and then all of a sudden there's change, major change. And now things are uncertain again. You're not sure what's next, and you're not sure you have what it takes to handle what's next. And the disciples were the same. They were just like us. Exactly like us. We've just come through Easter. It was so wonderful. But I'm here to tell you something. We commemorated the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's important to know something. There was no movement in the church without that resurrection. Amen? And we talked about that last week. No movement if it wouldn't have been for the resurrection. But I'm also here to tell you, when Jesus died... When he went into the ground, the disciples' hope died with him. They didn't think resurrection could happen. They'd never seen it. It was too much to believe. Their hope died. Their faith died. They scattered. They didn't know what's next. And, and, and let alone do we have what it takes to go forward. And they were in mourning. They're scared. They're confused. They're grieved. They're hardly interested in continuing what he started because they know we don't have that power. The power that it would take. But when they encountered the risen Lord, when they encountered the resurrection, when they encountered that personally and then collectively, and they encountered then the promise of the power of the infilling of the Spirit within each of them, hope began to creep back into their lives. Power began to creep back. They begin to see a path beginning to take shape for their faith and for the church going forward. But it was a rather slow in the beginning. The Gospel of Luke, uh, and really a lot of the Gospels, the synoptics, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, they state over and over again that Jesus spent the next 40 days after his resurrection with his disciples. And what did he do? He taught them about the kingdom of God. Things that he had taught them before. And he stayed with them until about 10 days before Pentecost. So he was with the disciples, appearing at different times. Eating with them at times. Helping them to understand what's next. But I'm here to tell you, they were asking questions. And they were certain, we don't know what's going on. You keep saying you're going to ascend. And what's going to happen next? And I, I, We're not ready for this. And, you know, it's kind of like when your parents, we had a family business, when all of a sudden parents say, hey, look, we're going to be gone for the weekend. You guys are going to run the business. And you kind of went, what? I mean, we can do it when you're here, but now you're going to be gone? How are we going to do this? How are we going to handle all the problems and the issues that may arise? And that's how they felt. Acts 1 states that at the end of those 40 days that he was with them, he ascends in a cloud as they watched and he had commanded them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that his father had promised. 
what? It was as clear to them as the resurrection was. Okay, we're supposed to go wait, we're going to receive power, and there's a promise, but what is that really going to be like? And we're supposed to continue your work and your message without you? What is that going to be like? And they had many questions. I want you to grab your Bible if you've got it, and we want to read that account real quick. Real important part of Scripture, because it continues the story that the Gospel of Luke leaves off with. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn to chapter 1, verses 1, and we're going to go through 14. Luke wrote this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. They haven't experienced it yet. They didn't have any idea really about it other than what Jesus was teaching them. But that only goes so far until you experience it. For he says, for John, the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized, immersed with, covered with the Holy Spirit. This is a gift of power. Hmm. And then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because they were hoping that was going to come the first time, and now they think Jesus is going to actually, actually put together a physical kingdom and they're going to rule with him. But Jesus says this to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. And now he comes back again. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wow. This is growing big. And we're going to do what? Wow. After this, he said... After this, or after he said this, it says he was taken up before their very eyes. Probably while they're yelling questions. Hold on, Jesus! Wait, hold it! Hold on a second. And he's like, later. Right. But you know, they're at, oh, we don't got all the story. Do you remember it? Do you remember that? What did he just say? And so he's up, and he goes up into a cloud, and it says a cloud hid him from their sight. So they're looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Wow. And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, And those present were Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, their wives, and Mary and the mother of Jesus with his brothers. So there was about 120 of them up there praying and gathering in prayer. Wow. What a great passage. What a great story. So, 
He gives them this promise. They go and wait in prayer. Let's jump to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It says about 10 days later, and they went and waited. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So, you know, I'm sure they went for their dinner breaks, maybe, or, you know, and had other stuff to take care of, but they kept meeting and focusing on this waiting and on this time together in prayer. And it says they were all together in one place, and then suddenly this becomes a very mystic thing. This becomes something that we have to figure out that we don't maybe quite understand. But this is what it says. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. We know what wind's about. We just had a lot of it, didn't we? It came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying and sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Okay? That's pretty wild. It came to, to, to land on each of them. All of them were then filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. They're there for Pentecost. There's a reason for this. Everybody, all nations and Jews from all other countries are coming there. People who speak different languages were there for the festivals and to worship. And so they're hearing them speak in their languages. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together. Because these homes, you know, they probably didn't have glass windows like we had them, right? They're a little more open, a little more crammed together. That People heard them talking and praising the Lord. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Macedonia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Their hearts were open. They wanted to know. They were curious. They were ready to hear a witness. They were ready. Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine to drink. They're just sauce guys just spouting off and nothing more than that. Wow. Two great passages of Scripture. It speaks to us about what's next. It speaks to us about what it takes to travel to what's next. Those passages, the disciples, they found themselves in change and uncertainty again. So they're asking, now what? What's next? How is he going to continue his work in ministry through us? How are we going to be his witness? How are we going to receive this power of the Holy Spirit? <coughs> According to Jesus' word in Acts 1, this experience of the disciples with the Holy Spirit, and, and then Acts 2, 
It would give them the power and the ability to be effective and authentic and Christ-honoring carriers of Jesus' ongoing work and his witness if they would simply obey and follow a few of his instructions. That's it. Simply obey what I'm asking you next to do, and now you'll have power, and you'll continue my ministry. <clears throat> That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to be about until Jesus returns and comes back that second time, as those two men said he would come. That's what we're supposed to be about after Easter. Easter was great. It was good. We have our traditions. It was wonderful. <coughs> we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus isn't sitting there and saying, well, the party's over and now we're done. He's saying, come follow me. And this is what's next. This is what's next for you. So, what do we have to have? What do we need to obey to be in what's next? Here's the first thing. Look at verses 4 through 5 and 8 again in, in chapter 1. Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus said, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you in a few days will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives them a command, he does, to not depart from Jerusalem. Go there and wait. Jesus has nothing else for his disciples to do. Nothing else but to wait for the coming of the Spirit, the promise of the Father. That's what I want you to do. Go and wait. Nothing else, Jesus? No. Go and wait. Because Jesus knew that they could really not do anything of any value or really anything that was going to be truly effective for the kingdom of God until the Spirit came. See, we're so technologically savvy. We're so good in the Western world in, in creating formulas and developing strategies and plans that we think, I've even heard a worship leader say this once after a service. We do this so good, we don't even need Jesus. It wasn't Jason. And I'm not going to go on with that, but I remember when I heard it, I went, oh, Jesus, help us. Because I thought, this, there's, this is trouble. I understood what he was saying, but, I, but it was sad what he was saying. Wow. Wow. Do you know this about yourself as well? that you can do nothing effective for the kingdom until the Spirit comes? Do we know that as a church as well? I want you to get something about this waiting that he commanded his disciples to do. And I'm going to put, it's up on the board here, and you can take some of these in your notes if you want to. To wait means something, okay? It means that this promise they're waiting for is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I'm waiting and holding on to certain things, certain investments, because I believe they're going to be worth so much more later, and it's worth it to hold on to it now. Where I know other people that want to sell their investments because they don't think it's going to be worth it later. Well, we'll find out who's right, right? 
But you usually will wait for something if you believe it's worth it. And so to wait means you believe a promise is worth it. Number two, to wait means that they had a promise that it would come. It's going to come. Three, to wait means they had to receive it. (coughs) They couldn't create it themselves. You have to receive it. You can't make it happen. I know some people that will come sometimes, and I learned this in college not to do this. You know, I'm a passionate person. I'm a feeler. So, man, I could come with passion. And I could sit before the Lord and say, God, I want you to do this. God, speak to me. God, speak to me. And what I learned is God many times is just saying, Kelly, just relax. Take a chill pill. It's not about your passion. It's not about your strength. It's about you simply believing me. Relax and believe me. So I'm here to tell you, if you're going to pray for healing, or you want to receive healing, it's not about your fleshly strength and faith to go, and work, you're like you got to work it up, work it up. No, that's not it. That's of the flesh. That's when we think we gotta, we got to prove to God we're worth it. And, and we're, we're valuable enough to have his blessing on us. Let me tell you something. Jesus died for you and me. We're worth it. Amen? Let's receive that blessing and be confident in it. He loves us. So if he wants something for us, if he's open to it, let's receive it and let's believe it. Amen? Amen. You don't have to do that. Well, you're going to receive it, but you've got to receive it. That's the big thing. You've got to be open to receive it. That's what's got to happen. So sometimes our passions can close our hearts off and put a barrier there to receiving something. So we want to receive it. Number four, to wait means that they would be tested by the waiting. At least a little. Doesn't waiting test you? It does me. I'll bet it does for you too. And it would test them. They were supposed to focus on the promise and receiving it. And they had to wait. And waiting will call you back to deal with all the things that you don't want, why you don't want to wait. And you're going to have to work through all those things if you're going to continue to wait. And those disciples had to do that too. They had to want it. They had to believe it. They had to be willing to receive it. They had to wait. But God, i got so many other things to do. So? I mean, I've told you to go wait. And stay focused on waiting. It's important to notice something as well. That this coming and filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit, it's called the promise of the Father. I don't know about your father. I don't know about my father. Sometimes we wonder whether our fathers kept their promises or not. But when I can feel like when, when my father made me a real promise, that meant he was going to keep it. If I make you a real promise to you, that means I'm going to move heaven or whatever to try to keep it. Our Father has made a promise. So we should wait eagerly in anticipation because that promise can only be good. Somebody say amen to that. I know people that are afraid to, to uh, want to seek and wait for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
Like it's going to make them look weird or do something goofy. I know that we've had stuff like that happen within our church culture, where people, I've seen all sorts of stuff in my time, so I'm not going to go into it. And, and, I, and I've rolled my eyes too in Jesus <laughs> as I was trying to pray, you know, for things. So a lot of things happen, but I'm here to tell you, God doesn't give you bad gifts. And God is not going to give you anything that's going to embarrass you or anything that's going to make you do anything but good to you. That's all I got to say. But we have to trust that. So this promise of the Father is only good. This promise also is reliable because it's given by our Father and He's going to fulfill it. It also shows that this promise that He's given, it's for all His children because it comes from the Father. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is your gift. It's yours. It also shows that this promise has to be received by faith because that's the pattern with all promises through the Bible. We've got to trust it. And lastly, Jesus told us this, that we're to wait together. That we would receive the gift of the Father while we are together. That's where God wants to pour out his gift upon us. So don't go seeking to go up on a mountain somewhere and receive the gift of the Father. Because that's the way to become a cult leader. Okay? Right? Is to go up somewhere alone. You come into relationships with others. The promise of the Father now becomes also the promise of the Son. And, and they knew that this promise of the Father would come, but it wasn't going to come immediately. It'd be days from now, but not many days. And Jesus had a purpose in not telling them exactly when it would come. Because you know, when he tells us stuff, when they're exactly going to come, what do we do? Right? We don't wait well if we know it's... If, if Jesus said, well, in 10 days you're going to get it, what would we do? We're going to go run around, screw around, party, whatever we're going to do, and then we're going to come on the final day and come wait. Right? We're going to work it to our advantage. He didn't tell them. And he did that on purpose. Because this is not under your control. It's under your Father's control. It's by his will. So you must wait for the infilling of the Spirit. That's important. That's so important to get. Have you waited? Have you been willing to wait so that you become focused? And wait until he's, he gives it. And wait relaxed instead of freaking out or getting all spazzed out or getting angry at God because he doesn't give it to you. See, that's showing you your heart and your need for control. Wait. Here's the second thing that this passage shows us. When a believer is baptized, see, here, if, if we're going to do Jesus' work and witness, we not only have to wait, but we've got to trust that promise and the process in the promise. See, when a believer is baptized, this is what happens in baptism. They humble themselves and they submit to the command of Jesus, their Lord. He's told them to believe and be baptized. But they also show, in being baptized, that they submit by their free will to the process of being baptized. Because you can't baptize yourself. 
You don't baptize yourself. Somebody else baptizes you. So if ever you've watched anything where people have baptized themselves, or you've ever thought you could baptize, no. I've seen things like that, where people have baptized themselves and then declared who they were in Jesus. Uh -uh. That's not God's pattern, that's not Christ, and that's not good. No one coerces you to trust the Lord's command to be baptized. No one coerces you to do that, nor does anyone make you go through that right. You have to choose of your own free will to trust. A disciple who's baptized has to trust the Lord, but they also have to trust the process. You know, we often say, some people go, I don't want to be baptized because I don't want to go backwards into the water. You don't have to. You can go frontwards in the water. You can go down this way. You can do it so many different ways, it's unbelievable. To be, but you've got to be fully immersed. Because that's what the word means and that's what the practice was. To die. To die. So, you've got to trust the Lord and you've got to trust this process. And the same is true in being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Unless you and I are willing to wait for it, unless you and I are willing to trust, trust his command and trust the promise, we're never going to be immersed in the Spirit. We're never going to. Like I said before, some people I've found are afraid. Why would you be afraid of anything your father wants to give you? I didn't grow up in the church, and I am an eight on the Enneagram. So that means, you know, I'm like, just because everybody's jumping off the bridge, you don't have to jump off the bridge. You know what I mean? But if you want to jump off the bridge, then jump, even though nobody's jumping off the bridge. See, see that challenger part of you? <laughs> And I feel that way about this, too. Why are we afraid of, of a gift our Father wants to give us? So, God will not force us to do anything we don't want to do. He never will. He won't do that. Nor will he dominate us or force himself upon us. That's what the evil one does. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. So to wait for the promise also means that we trust the promise and we're willing to submit to the process. We're willing to allow the Lord to open our heart and allow the Lord to fill us. Have you done that? Have you submitted? Have you trusted? You're waiting, but are you trusting? Are you just open saying, I'm open. I'm willing. I'm willing. Thirdly, I know you're, you're probably amazed that I'm in the third point already. Probably within the top Three things we feel guilty about as believers, and I'm sure of it. If I were to survey all of you out there, you would say this. I feel guilty about not sharing my faith more. That's in the top three, really. Or, I feel guilty about not being bolder in telling others about Jesus. If I hear it once, I've heard it millions and millions of times. People feel guilty about that. But I'm telling you, this passage that we just read told you that that's unnecessary. We don't have to feel guilty about that. We just simply have to do God's will his way. And we'll never have to be guilty again. The natural result of receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit and that power, it results in us becoming witnesses of Jesus. And we not only become witnesses of Jesus where we're at or in our families, but all over the world. That becomes our natural result. <coughs> I want you to notice something. It is not a command here to be his witness. 
It doesn't, it's not a command. It simply states a fact. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be My witnesses. The words shall be or will be are not indicative. They're imperative. They're, they're indicative. They're not imperative. It's not a command. Jesus doesn't recommend that we'll be witnesses. Jesus doesn't command us to be witnesses. What Jesus states is a fact. We will be witnesses. See, it's just a natural result. Isn't that cool? From then on, you read through the book of Acts and you find that the Holy Spirit came upon believers as they prayed and as others laid their hands on them and they witnessed and the church spread. The church spread like fire because they were filled with the Spirit. I want you to notice something here, and I've talked about this stuff before. Outreach, training for outreach or discipling, ministering, having missions, mindset or vision or goals, they matter. And they have a place. But they always come after. They always come after because the Holy Spirit is the creator of the church. The Holy Spirit is the power. He is the counselor. He is the leader. He is the guide. See, what matters first is being baptized with Him and with His power. What matters first is being separated and anointed by Him for service. In a service He's designed you to fulfill. He is the leader. He is the Lord. What matters first is to be filled with His love and with the fruit of the Spirit so that our ministry is an overflow from that. That's what matters first. So that we're not just doing something because it's good for us, not just doing something because we should do it, but, but we're doing something because God has called us and we've been filled with a power to do it and gifts to do it. And then we do it even when it's hard as you know what to do it. Because the Lord brings us back and fills us up again. And says, okay, here's more power, more love. I'm going to fill that tank back up for you. And keep going. Because it's about me working through you, not you fueling yourself. We're simply the receivers of these things. We're the responders. We're the servants. We carry this gift and give and witness to God His presence and His love. And it comes through that gift. So we have a role to be receivers, responders, and servants. But we're not the initiator. We're not the director of God's work in the church or the world. The timing is not at our discretion or under our control. Time is in His hands. And we are also. So we don't possess the power or life or love to make change, to renew things, to bring revival. Only He does. But He can. He can. I still remember the day that where, where I just, as a young believer, I came to faith and I was walking with Jesus. God had totally changed my life from black and white, from night to day. And then I'm reading the scriptures because I was just devouring the New Testament and the Old. After I got through the New Testament, I said, okay, I've read it all. Now what do I do? I might have passed away. I said, well, read the Old Testament. So I read it. I go, okay, I'm done. He goes, well, read it again. <laughs> Get back into that. You can't just read it once and know it all. Okay. All right. So I started reading through the New Testament again. And I began to notice something in the book of Acts. And I began to notice something through Scripture that I didn't really know anything about. And it was this infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, God's Spirit's in me. Jesus is with me. I talk to him. He talks to me. It's not an audible voice. It's in our thoughts. 
but he's in my heart, and I know that. And so, what is this? And I kept asking the Lord and reading. And I ended up going through the book of Acts as I was getting ready to go on this youth retreat. And I was really seeking the Lord about this. And I began to talk to other people about it. And lo and behold, a person there understood that, and I talked to him. He was a speaker. And then by the river, when we were baptizing, he said, let's pray for you. Let's all gather together, and let's ask the Lord. And he laid hands, and he said, just anoint my brother here, because he's searching. God, you're leading and you're speaking. And Lord, I ask you now just to fill him with your joy. And may, as the scriptures say, may rivers of living water flow from within him. And all I can say is, as I stood there and I received it in the name of Jesus, a fire started here and just shot through the rest of me. And I couldn't keep from smiling. <laughs> I just said, Lord, it's like I was saved again. That's like when you saved me and I knew I was real and I was different. On that Monday after I accepted Christ on that Sunday, that's when I felt the joy and the power of God was on that Monday when I discovered I was different. But then I was different again. Make me your witness. Help me to serve you, Lord. And it happened again and again. And you know, when I was down here again, I was sitting there going, Jesus, I love you. I, I know that you're with me. And I began to feel that gentle movement within. That joy again within. Even here. The Lord's there. The Lord loves you. He loves you. But it was a period of waiting. It took some time. It was a number of weeks. It was a journey to understanding and receiving that blessing and walking in it, and it's there for all of us. So if we want to be a witness, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The best training program for evangelism is great, but it's of little effect if we are not filled with the Spirit first. Filling us with the Spirit gives us the fuel, the power, the love, the impetus and we don't have to make ourselves be a witness. We're just gonna. We're gonna, we're gonna shine for Jesus. So you may have come to God before, and you may ask him in prayer to fill you with the Spirit or with this new power to do what he wants you to do or to live a holy life, and nothing really has changed. You know what? You're not alone in that experience. Folks have done that. Folks have experienced that. Our passage in Scripture, along with my own experience, through the years, it tells you, it shows you that the timing of the Spirit's baptism is at God's discretion, not your own. It's at His discretion. We simply have to obediently wait in prayer and trust. In addition to that, we have to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves and allow others and those that God has placed in our lives to shepherd us to pray for our infilling and our anointing. See, God will always choose to act inside the framework he's placed us in with the leaders and structures he's placed around us because he's calling us to submission. I'm here preaching the word. I'm not going to preach you anything that isn't the word. I'm not going to come and lay hands on you and then push you. One time in Jesus, I almost, almost punched a guy. He did that to my wife. Right? Remember that? I was young then. I'm thinking, dude, don't be doing that. This is bull. You know, it really was. And he kind of backed up because I think he saw my eyes go. 
what's happening? We're not going to do stuff like that. See, we're not, that's just, that's just ridiculousness. But it's wonderful to be filled with the Spirit, to have him. We want to simply be obedient and wait in prayer and trust. And we, want to allow, we want to allow others to pray for us. And God will cho- always choose. He'll choose to act inside of us and with us as we gather. So I want to leave you with these questions. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you done that after you believed? That is the whole gospel. I share that with people when I share it with them. It's not just accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Accept him as Lord and Savior and be forgiven and freed. He'll forgive your sins, but then be filled with the Spirit. That's the promise of the Father. Because God's got something he wants you to walk in and do. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants you to be free. So, So receive that gift. Have you received his baptism and his anointing to be effective in ministry that he's called you to do? You know, we can't, we can't if we're serving out of our own tank and our own strength, we're going we're gonna to come dry at some point and it's going to end. Have you been filled for ministry? Do you need a fresh filling so that your tank, because your tank is almost on empty and you need to be filled up, do you need to experience his love and his intimate presence again? Have you been trying to worship? Have you been trying to give? Have you been trying to serve or even lead in your own strength, in your own natural giftings, in your finite thoughts? Huh? Have we? We tend to focus so much on those things within the church culture instead of saying that this person is a humble servant of Jesus who's been filled with the Spirit and is simply trying to obey him in their service of others. See, that's what we're called to do. That's our mission. It's not, oh man, this person's a dynamic speaker. Oh man, this person's got the greatest voice. Man, this person complained is the best worship leader you ever saw. Or man, this or that. Those are all tasks and things of the world. That's, that's not what brings someone to actual Jesus and life transformation. It's the Spirit. So, I want to ask you to stand with me today. Because this promise is for you and your children and for all whom the Lord will call. That's what Paul or that's what Luke wrote in Luke chapter 2, 39. If you've not received the Holy Spirit of Christ to be his witness, if you know you need to, I want to invite you just to come down and I want to invite our prayer team to come down too. You're invited to come up front here I might ask Jason to grab his guitar, if you would, and maybe play a little bit. This is just kind of impromptu. If you want some people, bring some people to come pray with you, even. Because you're not receiving the Holy Spirit in a vacuum or alone. We're to humble ourselves before others. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he notices. So we're going to come and we're going to pray. We're going to wait upon him. And we're not going to be discouraged if you don't sense that he pours out his spirit on you this morning. Let this be a beginning. And let it carry you through this next week. As you submit to others around you to keep praying for you. Until that baptism does come. We might be right back here next Sunday. And it might be that day that the Lord pours out his spirit upon you. I don't know. 
But let's come and let's receive it because we need it. And that is the power to be witnesses. That's the power to go forward. So you come as we sing, huh? Come as we play. Come now. And let's receive from the Lord. I don't know if you can lead us in something to sing or impromptu. Good job. (laughs) Amen. Come and ask someone to pray with you and for you. You can stay where you're seated even. And you can reach out to somebody next to you and say, pray for me and pray with me. You don't have to come up front here because that's not like a magic. Okay. You can do it right where you're seated. But reach out. Open your heart. Tell people of your need. And receive from the Lord. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good, good, oh, you are good, good. He is good, but I'm telling you, he won't force his way onto the throne of your heart or your life. Some of us do have to at some time come and submit and open our hearts and get out of the way and get off the throne. So do that this morning. And pray for others that are up here that might need your touch, God's touch, to do that this morning. Amen. Let the King of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves. Oh, he is my soul. The king of my heart Thank you, Jesus. be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my song. You are good, good. Oh, you are good. Yes, you are. together the Apostle Paul's prayer that he recorded in Ephesians 3 and we do pray Lord for this reason we kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name we pray that out of your glorious riches God that you may strengthen us with your power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell 
in your heart, in our hearts through faith and be the Lord alone on the throne of our hearts. Lord, we pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Lord, come bring us to that place, we pray, that you may fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God because you, Lord, come to pour out your power and blessing in us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, we want your power to work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, we do pray this prayer. We do ask you to come. We wait for you. We trust in you. And we know we need your power to be your witness and servant. Lord, burn away every other thing that wants to occupy our attention and our mind and every other thing that wants to sit on the throne of our lives. Lord God, burn it away, we ask in the name of Jesus. And be Lord alone. And fill us then with all your love and your presence. Fill us with all the fruits of the Spirit. That we wouldn't have to work to be your people, but we would just naturally respond because rivers of living water are indeed flowing from within us. Your presence is in us. So we seek you for that work and that blessing. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Bring that freedom to us, we pray. And we just bless you, Lord, for that work. We bless you that your Holy Spirit is going to carry forth Jesus' work and Jesus' story through us. And it's going to continue as you bring us in, into a more experiential knowledge of you, Lord, and more power and grace than we've known before. So bless us, Lord Jesus, we pray. And we just give you the praise this morning. Thank you for being with us. And thank you for the work that you've done. And thank you for the work you have begun. It's in Jesus' name we all pray and we all said together, amen. Amen. Lord bless you.